hope I gave you enough information about how to take a bunch of weird left turns to get where you want to be. Welcome to the In Vino Fab podcast. I'm Patrice. And I'm Laura. We're your co-hosts for In Vino Fabulum. That means in wine story. We think there are tales that need to be told about women, wine, work, and what's happening in the world. This podcast was created to have a chat about a few of these things and more. Tune into this podcast to learn and share as we talk about passion projects, recent reads, and random wine facts. Welcome to the In Vino Fab podcast. Today we're excited to talk with Diane and she's going to talk a little bit about her experiences as her life on campus as a campus police officer and kind of how she got there, a little bit about what she does and, you know, maybe some passion projects she has along the way that she's doing for fun. So Diane, welcome to In Vino Fab. Hi, thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Nice. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, if you'd like to share with our listeners, like skim a little bit about your resume and you don't have to go all the way back to high school, but give us some ideas of <laughs> <laughs> what you're doing now and how you got there. Sure, sure. Nobody cares about high school. Um, <laughs> I, so I went to school, uh, um, I worked on a campus with you, so obviously that's how we met. And then um, from there, I did my undergraduate and my graduate program. And um, from that, I kind of went into my career search. Um, I also was, I didn't deep dive right into it right away. So after my grad program, I wanted to advance myself in government work. So my grad program is in forensic psychology. And I wanted to work in investigation. So um, I was having some trouble getting that going. When you say so forensic I psychology, can I, you break da- that down a little bit? Is that like bones yeah. or is that like, yeah. yeah? Yeah. So a lot of people think forensic is going to be like CSI, which is there's some there's some merit to it. If you're going to talk about a TV show, we'll talk about it like Criminal Minds is my interest. So yeah, so forensics would be how it pertains or how psychology pertains to law. So for me personally and how I went into my um, specific degree was that I was studying psychology and criminal justice. And then how those two apply to each other when it comes to behavioral analysis. So for me, I kind of dove into why very bad criminals commit violent crimes. Um, so talking about like the murder, rape, um, molestation, those kind of things that are considered violent crimes. Um, and why a person does those things. And then it's the idea when you first go in maybe it's like we're going to save these people and stop those crimes. But it won't stop. But what our purpose is, is can we get people out of these situations sooner or protect people in the future. Also criminal behavior and then how it all applies to the law. And then, um, so then I, that's how I got my master's in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I'm going to go to the FBI or something. And um, so I did, I went, I went on that track for about 10 or 12 years. I was applying and trying to get in. And um, every time I come up to a brick wall, I thought, how can I make myself appear better to them? Because what I was learning and I didn't know at the time until I came 10 years later was that I didn't have law enforcement in my resume. So it wasn't that I was never being seen. It's just that I'm female and I was the first in my family in this field and I didn't know anybody in the government. And it's not that you need to know somebody, but it definitely helps to know the process Mm -hmm. and kind of it puts your resume up top a little bit. And sometimes if you know someone, they can kind of say your name somewhere. Um, So I'm not saying that all the people I get in have like a friend or a father or something, but it definitely does help when you know people because then you know which path to take. Yeah, like it's it's giving you some insight to the occupation, the fields, kind of what to expect in a certain industry. I think that makes sense. It's just common, like it's like how we network and how we kind of get introduced into a organization to work, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, I like to make everything more difficult than it needs to be. So <laughs> as much as people would offer me suggestions or help, I might think, well, I read the books. I know how to do it. I have to do this next and this next. Um, part of it was my wanderlust and part of it was my wild heart. But I thought, you know, I'm female and I have a master's, but I'm having a hard time getting in. So maybe I'll take my 20s and maybe I'll move and I'll learn a language. I'll learn a character-based language. So I moved overseas for a couple years and I taught English. And then um, I traveled and I had a really good time doing that. And I think I'm glad I did that. I kind of like went to the left because I know my heart. And if I would have gotten to a field that I'm in now, which is law enforcement, and we'll talk about that, if I would have got into this field at 18 or 21, I wouldn't have made it a couple of years before I quit because I needed to see the world and I needed to live overseas and I needed to build my resume and become who I am. Um, and I don't know how I knew this. And I'm, I'm glad I was able to feel confident. I think it's because I had a certain amount of support. So then, you know, um, when I came home, I still was having trouble doing the FBI thing. And um, I talked to, I started volunteering for victims of human trafficking in my, my local city and it was like a empowerment center for mostly mm-hmm. women, but obviously men and children and all that. And in doing that, and by the way, I found that through a Zumba class because I was in a real bad place when I came home, all this reverse culture shock and having a hard time adjusting. I started doing Zumba with my sisters and this woman came in to talk and I was like, such a weird way I got involved, but that's okay. Hey, it's it. random sometimes. But, yeah. 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 Um, well, I was, I was instructed by a friend of mine to volunteer because it's very helpful to network when you volunteer. Plus, you get yourself busy and you can meet people and maybe get a job and whatever. So um, I started doing that. I met some people from the Department of Justice and I said, hey, you know, now I have my connections. Hey, you know, I like you. You like me. I don't want help, but how do I do this? And their suggestion was you need to go into law enforcement if you want to get into the government. And I thought, okay, this is a stepping stone. Next two weeks, I went to the academy, the police academy. And um, my thought was this is a stepping stone. So in the process of the academy, I did get a job at at the university. And I actually got two interviews with the FBI. They sent me out to Chicago twice. And I I thought, you know, I got most competitive. And I was like, yeah, they're going to totally take me. Uh, The first time I didn't get it. And I was upset. You get to try again one more time. And I tried the second time. And I was already in my career job for a couple years. And I just was like, I like being where I'm at now. I don't want to move again. I'm a little bit older now. And then I was close to my family. And I was like, you know, I had my time away. And I don't. I, I can do my career in this field without having to start over again in the government. Um, so that's how I landed in law enforcement uh, with a master's and all my experience and stuff. Um, yeah, and, and I'm gonna let's let's unpack that. Okay, so for our listeners, yeah, um, it's a lot. I don't know you, how to go. Yeah, yeah no, that's good. I, like I said, I said, give me a rundown and we'll break it apart. So you spent a couple years. Um, teaching English as a second language and working overseas teaching. Um, and so that was great to open, it sounds like, broadening your horizons and give you some perspective. And you did a couple of things. You did that. When you came back and transitioned in, you got back into your community and volunteers. And these are all great ideas and aspects of, as we try to figure out our paths, um, I think you've done some interesting things, whether it's travel, try something different, put yourself in a new place, or get connected to the local community. I think you you did that well to kind of figure out so what is my path um, as a master's uh, student like, leaving with a master's degree in f- forensic psychology? And you said, oh, I need to get some experience because I think um, you and I were talking offline and we had met- you had mentioned like I need some sort of, whether it's military or police 
mm-hmm. um, or law enforcement, yeah. uh, something like that. They want some sort of other experience with it, just because of the, I think, the degree you had at the time. And, in a um, field, yeah. In a certain field, in a certain area, they want someone on that's had some ex- experience, right? So, um, yeah. can you talk a little bit about? We'll get to where you are now, but the to yeah. get into the FBI um, or and or CIA, like there are some testing and things you have to do. Like you had to do a few different background mm-hmm. things and testing. Like what was yeah. that, what was that like? So for for government work, it was really interesting and really fun and mostly scary all the time. But um, I would the first one was that in law enforcement, including government work, there is a standardized level of application. So first you fill out the first application with like your personal information and some places want more than others. So like government wants to know, they want to know your family's name and their phone number and what their job is and where they live. Personal and they background want to know your brother's that. spouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They want brother's spouse's name and address and what she does for work. So I had to call all my siblings, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law and say, Hey, what do you do? And how, you know, so that was pretty invasive in that, in that way. But generally you're going to have an application where it has quite a bit of revealing information. Then you're going to have um, a written test, an aptitude test. Uh, what do they test on? Type, Just type general. Uh, it's like, uh, like an SAT kind of uh, ACT type thing. So some I, n- I never took those. So I tell me what are the, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah so some of it have, it's like, it's like, um, uh, like blocked out reading, yeah. writing, uh, math and comprehension or something like that. So when it came to some of them have like accounting level math on it. And mm-hmm. there are some books I got from the library. You can kind of practice all these tests. What the concept is, and I'm so glad I did what I did in my life, was that these are test-taking strategy type tests. Mm-hmm. You are given an amount of time to, t- they're times tests. You have so much time to take this level of the test as part of the test. And some of the questions are almost impossible to answer. And you have to decide, will I spend my time on this question or will I skip it, answer all the questions I can and come back? Mm-hmm. So what's happening is they're already analyzing you based on your test-taking strategy. So they can weasel out a ton of people right there because some people are like stuck on question two because they want to know what the answer to this. When you look at the ABCD and they're all like one number away from each other, you should probably skip it and go to the next one because you're not, you're wasting your time. So well, they, they want to know that you can organize and prioritize and kind of yeah. read through. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So the, the policing tests are a little more stressful because they're, it's, it's, I don't know why, but um, they give you a book and there'll be, um, seven pictures of people on it. Like sometimes they're cartoons, sometimes they're real, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be a, a rap sheet underneath and it'll say like this person is such a height, such weight, such gender. They wear certain tattoos and they have like this one known to carry a gun, that one's known to carry a knife, this one's known for robbery. It kind of gives you a little rap sheet on these 10 different people, seven different people. Then they shut the book and then they go around the room and collect the book and you have to memorize everything you can. And then they give you a, I don't remember, it was a very short five minutes or something to answer questions about all 10 of those people. Yeah. So basically in that one, the concept is to look at what they're in policing. If you see somebody with, they only have one or two people on there with a knife or a gun. If you know that person is known to have a knife or a gun, you do have to remember that about them. Cause in the test, they're going to say, they're going to have a question like, which person would you, I don't know, arrest or something. I don't know what they were like, talking which about, one's armed essentially that might be a threat. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Which one's most threatening or something. And you see all these other people that look a certain way and you, if you're paying attention, you'll do that. Then there's one where you have to like know directions and how to read a map, which is hilarious to me because I never had a smartphone till like March this year. <laughs> so last year. So, um, 
I was like, I've never, I've traveled the entire world, circumnavigated like two or three times already, and I have never had a smartphone. And I don't know how people don't know how to read them. I have an atlas in my. You know what? It's a skill. I think it's a lost skill of map reading. Absolutely, yeah. Right. So there's something about policing that when you're when you're called to a call in your city or just outside your city, you could voice into Google and say, "Where is this place at?" But in reality, you're expected to know every corner because this is your neighborhood and you're literally hired to protect it. So that's mm-hmm. part of that test. And then, um, sometimes there's writing. There usually isn't. But um, in some of them, there is writing. And I've learned that it's probably one of the best ones they should have on the test because I've read other officers or other police departments' um, uh, reports or whatever, and they're terrible. Like, it's like these people never went to college. And the thing is, and it's not to look against people that didn't go to college, these people need to take a writing class because they're coming. You only have to be 21 to be a police officer. Right. So, and I'm going to back you up a little bit because um, I'm sorry, we skipped forward to the police stuff. But just for the yeah. FBI stuff, I was wondering, did you have to do yeah. some um, like behavioral or psychological testing or was anything like that? Uh, yes. But yeah, yeah. But the, the thing is, I didn't get all the way through to those. So basically, oh, okay. think, and that's why I was talking about policing because what they do is they, they, so I took a computer test mm-hmm. and then I, a written test and then I was called in for a, um, they called me down to the office in our city for uh, like orientation kind of mm-hmm. like this is what it is like you have to know you are going to have to move and you're going to have to stay away for so long and you may not come back here you might you might not um, you are going to be where we tell you to be in this department at this time and if you want to advance yourself that will be in three to five years you have to put your first three years and then you have to put five years in it so then if then I got sent away to, to interviews, panel interviews, and um, it was like a writing assessment. And they sent me to um, one of their field offices. They put us up for the night in a hotel, and I was with, like, I don't know how many other people, maybe 20 or something. And then we went into three-person panel interviews with a standardized level of questioning. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, like, 11 standard questions or something, and we had an hour to finish or something. And it was all recorded and they were all agents and it was like pretty crazy. You know, it was really difficult because you then the other thing about that is they don't tell you how you did and they don't tell you why you didn't get it or why you got it. They just will say, call you in two weeks and they either say, Hey, see us at your physical test in two weeks, or they'll say, we're not moving forward with you. You can try again one more time. Yeah. Months. Cause they're just recording. Like they're not going to get feedback during an interview. They're just going to record and kind of analyze it afterwards and yeah, yeah. make their they assessment. Won't, they'll never tell you. So yeah. So it was kind of, that was the only part that was frustrating because most places will at least give you a little feedback, but they didn't. So, um, it was a really cool process. I'm glad I did it. But I think after some time I realized that that wasn't, I was going after FBI, and I don't know if it's because as a child you're inundated. Like, you have the X-Files, and then you have, the, uh, you know, CFI and all these things where they talk about FBI. And then, you know, people have these FBI hats, and it's like, cool, you know, really cool with the FBI. I didn't know till I got to the academy that there were so many other agencies that I didn't even consider. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it's because I had communicated my whole life with one agency. And I'm not going to say that they're not great. They're one of the most prestigious and they're exactly the investigational bureau that I would have wanted to work for in terms of what I wanted to do. But it took me 12 years of trying to say, hey, it's not, it's not working. Like, maybe this isn't for you because you, whatever you've done, maybe I wasn't very confident in a lot of my interviews. So that I think I would have had some problems. But, you know, I, I always say, too, things work out the way that they should. So um, that process was really challenging, but it was very good for me in terms of, like, learning about myself and what I wanted. And then... 
it pushed me to get into the job I have now because if I didn't know I needed law enforcement, I wouldn't have joined up here. Um, yeah, and, and there's so many other like pathways of in your in that kind of career, and like you said, whether it's investigation or law enforcement, that people don't really know mm-hmm. because they you know of X amount of job jobs or industries that you could get into but you're right so that opened up the pathway to go into police the police academy uh which is a whole new experience so the requirements to go to police academy are basically you have to be 18 uh have a ged or a high school diploma Mm -hmm. um some of them require okay so it depends open or closed some of them require you to pass a physical test before you get in Mm -hmm. most require you to take a polygraph test and um or like a uh, psychological test before you get in, um, and you have to fill out an application. Some you can just show up. They're not standardized, and neither are police departments. And this is like uh, it's by region state. or district or police department that these police academies um, function, or state, state county, county. Okay. State. There's 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 state there's state requirements of the number of hours that you have to have for your department, but okay. for police in general. Each police department decides how they want to test you to get in. Some don't test you at all. Some just take, like, someone's brother or something because they know. Um, some will, whatever. Mine was very in, like, mine took a long time. I took about almost a year to get hired into my department. And that was within applying for, like, two years. So it, took, it takes a really long time because you're going up for one position against, like, 200 people. Right, because you have to be, like, this is the specific one I'm applying for. You're not applying for a bunch yeah, of yeah, them? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, now, yeah, um, the, state, the state would be, but normally people just apply to cities or counties or townships or something like that. What's the but, physical test uh, yeah, that you had to do? Yeah. The physical? Yeah. Um, it, there's a standardized one for the state. But every department is different, so you have to be prepared at all times, and and they'll tell you that because when you're in the job, you have to be able to. Generally, it's a mile and a half run. It's kind of like a military. Yeah, mile and a half run under a certain amount of time for your age group and your gender. Um, push-ups on, in a minute mm-hmm. for your age and gender. Sit-ups in a minute for your age and gender. Sometimes you have to do a 300 meter sprint in your age and gender under a certain amount of time, and sometimes you have to do pull-ups. Um, some departments will then make you do something different and crazy, whether it's um, body bag, like you have to pull a body bag over a wall and jump out of a car and like figure out like that maybe they want to see you moving versus doing push-ups. But generally, you're going to do the push-ups, sit-ups, running, and those are the three most basic. And then sometimes you'll have to do a sprint or pull-up. So it sounds like the, the last one, the body bag, is like a physical applied maneuver. They want to see that you could do this if you're in the field sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and sometimes they, it just depends. My, my department did scenarios that were um, verbal, and they were like acting out scenarios. Okay. Some places do physical scenarios and say, hey, what are you going to do if this guy does this to you? Interesting. Okay, so cool. Um, so you went to Police Academy, and it's not like the kooky comedy that we once saw Steve Martin in. <laughs> No. Okay. Great. In my brain, it is. <laughs> um, what was it like to go through police academy? Like you were, uh, yeah. you were. This was then recently. You've gone through it in the last five years. So this was like four years, five years, five years. years yeah. Five years. Okay. Yeah, so cool. you're in your th- you were in your thirties then, going through police academy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Great. Okay. I'm atypical. Um, I went with a master's and I'm a female. So um, I started at, after the age of 30 or into my age of 30 and there was eight women out of 35, I think, um, altogether. And it was, I was working full time at a medical medical place and um, at night I would go to the police academy from like 
Monday through Thursday. And I think we did an all day Saturday or something like that. So this took me nine or 10 months, almost the whole year to complete this. Okay. And, um, I went to an open enrollment because I signed up late. Now there are like five or six different types of academies, all leveling in different levels of military behavior. So okay. people always, it's like paramilitary, you know, you're, you're going to be um, wearing your uniform 24 seven for us. We had like polo shirts and cargo pants and we weren't as official looking, I suppose, but we were still, again, like I said, the differences between academies, the same as differences between standards of departments. So once you get this commission, you're good for the whole state. It doesn't matter where you went, but okay. if you went there. So, um, what was the level that you were in then? Because it sounds like you're in a, a spot where people might have been career changing if it's at night and weekends. Um, well, it's strange because I was in an open enrollment, which you can just get in without doing a physical assessment and you can kind of just like pay as you go kind of thing. And there were 19 year olds in my class because you can be 19 to get in the academy because it's going to take a year to get out 20 and you can apply to a police department because it's going to take six to eight months and you'll be 21 by the time you graduate. You have to be 21 to be able to apply to a department. Is that true? You have to be 20, going to be 21 at the time of their hiring. So, yeah, you can be under 21. You just have to be 21 when they hire you. Hmm. So so that means you could be 19 in the academy. So you have to understand the mentality of a 19-year-old young man in in this academy. I mean, I think that's very young, but whatever. That's besides the point. So I was one of the older ones in my group, and um, I was already in a professional career. I had already lived overseas. And so it was challenging to get on the level of anybody because some of these guys were like, hoorah, they're very, guys and girls, some of them were very, um, like, mil- some of them were military, some were, um, like, you know, um, what do you call it, ROTC, mm-hmm. or some of them were. The Reserve Guard. Officer Training Corps for yeah. people who don't Reserve, know about that. Yeah. Not a lot of it, yeah. One or two of the guys had been overseas, but they were older. And they had come back to the U.S. and they were like, I need a job that's makes me feel purpose and this is where I'm going to go. So a lot of military guys come back and do policing because you're, you have purpose, you're protecting, you're doing what you did before and you get to carry a gun and have a badge and have honor and uniform and all that. And so, they've already have some sort of training and background and they know how to, you know, yeah, yeah I can see that. Kind of already in the mindset of protect yourself and protect other people and that kind of thing. So um, there's some missing there, but in general, they're ready to go. So um, it was challenging because I, I didn't have the physical strength at the beginning to do all the fitness. I mean, I can run, no big deal. Um, the sit-ups were fine, but for me, I didn't really know how to even do push-ups, I don't think. Um, so for me, in between classes, I was doing push-ups. We had um, 10 minutes every couple hours. You get to take a 10-minute break, and I would be doing a meth break, and all these kids were going to Taco Bell, and like um, they were young. I call them kids because they were some of them were ten. Well, they're old. young women and adult, but to you, they seemed like kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So young yeah. women and Fun. men that are le- have less experience and knowledge. Say the experience level and the mindset was very different for mm-hmm. them versus me because this was a career type for me, and I know it was for them too. But for them, they were kind of like I was about the FBI when I was younger. This is how they are about the police. So they're like I dream about this and I look at it and I want to have the badge and I want to have the uniform and the gun and I want to be cool and. What they all forget is, like, there's a reality behind it. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of, sometimes there's a lot of fear. Um, there's a lot of physical injury. There's a lot of mental um, PTSD-type things, cumulative. And you take on a lot. 
And it sounds like like some of the police isn't about like showing off. It's also you're there to be proactive and preventative in other ways too. Like that's another piece of it. I remember you were talking about, um, but that may have not been where everyone was at in your school, in your academy. Sure. Yeah, not everybody's mentality is the same spot, but I find that a lot. I've I've always been a little bit more um, mentally up for the things that I want to do, and I'm like real focused and serious and real uptight about it. I'm, I'm so serious, you know. Um, but. Uh, I did see the the, the uh, benefit in what we were learning, and there were some really great instructors, and some were less interested in their position, but there were some really great people that came in and talked about cultural diversity and men and women in the field, and a lot of people, especially, I mean, my department, are very happy to have women around, and then there are some that aren't. So in the academy, some of the guys and girls, men and women, were like, uh, well, sh- like the men would be very chivalrous to the women sometimes. And I would say, you know, I appreciate it and thank you, but um, we have to be on equal terms here. And like, you know, I open the door, you open the door, it doesn't matter. We have to, we have to understand that if we're called to something, I have to be able to do it the same as you. And when yeah. we're wrestling in class, I have to know that you're going to give me force that a guy is going to give me. So I would have to pick my partners in physical defensive class that they, I said, listen, if you're not going to hit me for real, I'm never going to fight you because I don't have this drive to just fight all day. But if my life's in danger, if I'm getting hurt, I can do it, you know, but I don't have this need to want to fight. I actually don't want to, but if, so my partner, I had to found a really good partner and he would actually hit me for real. And I would be able to deflect it and defend myself because when am I ever going to be up against somebody my own type? Probably not. I'm not very tall and I'm not very big. So when I'm up against dudes, that are huge. Um, I want to know that I can help myself in that field if I'm by myself. And so he was really great partner and he was able to give me a lot of challenge. And then I did the same for him though, because a lot of the men were very challenged. They were scared to pat us down or they were scared to, because sometimes you have to like call all the time to do pat downs. But when you're by yourself, you got to make yourself safe, make sure they don't have weapons or drugs. So I did the same thing for them is like, you have if you have to grab me and you brush me somewhere if i know you're just doing it because you're protected like doing yourself that's it that's fine we can be professional about it because we do need to help each other to to be prepared for whatever's out there because just because someone's a female does not mean that they're not going to hurt you does not mean they're not strong do you know um what the percentage of women in the police uh, generally like so we're in the u.s um and this is what we're talking about primarily is policing in the u.s do you know what the percentage of um women to men or um women non-binary to male yeah not offhand um is it representative of your class do you think like well i would say our class had quite a few, but I, it was also the night class, so mm-hmm. there was either. But I would say it's somewhat representative, but that would be, that's almost, how much is that? Almost 30%. That might be kind of high. 30% might be kind of high. All right. I'll, fa- I'll fact check us later and put some sh- yeah. something in the show notes for our listeners mm-hmm. because I'm just curious. And then from Police Academy, um, you have the option or decision to apply within uh, that local or county region or within the states you're in. Is that what happens? Yeah, so mine goes for my state, and I'm commissioned throughout the state. Sometimes you have to take them once you're commissioned. Now, sometimes it's transferable to other states. It just depends. I don't know what mine is to other states, but some people say that, like, some states have better um, standards, and you can go to adjacent states. But generally, you have to take the one for the state 
Um, and there's two ways you can do it. You can either go pay, pay for yourself, which I do, I did, and then you apply to departments, or you apply to departments first, and then they send you the academy. Now, you can never bank on either because you don't know what you're going to get into. So my suggestion to any young person trying to get in, just if you want to go, start going to the academy now. Okay, so maybe you get in and you have to go to academy again. Who cares? How's that going to hurt you? I mean, you're just going to learn more and you'll probably get a better grade on the test because you've already gone halfway through. So some people will just bank on their one department they want to go to and then they wait for them to put them through the academy. And you just waste time. So if you want to go, go sign up, take initiative, get going, and then uh, do the academy. So. And so career paths, once you get this, um, you go through the academy and you graduate, um, there's, there's very diverse opportunities. You can go many different ways. Um, and you've decided to go to, back to a college, university, campus. Um, but what were some other options? Like, what were you thinking when you finished? Like, what were you looking at in terms of uh-huh. occupational directions or um, jobs yeah. specifically? Like, what were you hoping to get into? Or what were some things that people think about that are in, were in your class? Yeah. Well, the first thing I wanted was, I, I'm thinking this is a stepping stone. I want the most experience possible. So I wanted to go to the worst city and I wanted to do drug interdiction or task force or gangs. I mean, I wanted to go big time and I wanted to be busy and I wanted to be, you know, all this stuff. I so you like the challenge is what you're saying. You want the, you're like, yes. I wanted it. Yeah. Because <laughs> for me, it was a stepping stone. It was like, build the resume, build the resume. Like, how can I get my name out there? How can I learn the best way to be a police officer? Okay. I know if I have multiple arrests in a day, if I deal with drugs constantly. And so my only thought was like, do they expose you to the career paths in your school and your academy? Do they, you know, like these are the directions you uh, can go? No, no. Okay. No, I- you have to take initiative and talk to your instructor. So I, when we had somebody come in from the state, like, um, like a state investigation person, I would go to them after class or I would eat. They would give us their business card, their phone number and everything. I took initiative. I emailed everybody. I was like, only the ones that I wanted to work for their department. But I would say, what is my path if I want to work for you guys? And they would say, well, you need this commission for your state. And then you want to try, you know, get some experience, blah, blah, blah. So the general thing that I learned, and only because I've been through the field and stuff, is that you get the commission, you work as an officer for three to five years, and then you start moving within your department or into task forces or you can go to government or whatever, but okay. it's like this magic three to five. What I'm learning about this field is very standardized and regardless of if it works or not, it's how they do things. They're very structured. Cops are very like, they don't love change and they kind of are behavioral analysis. They're good people readers and they've seen that they're like statistics people. They're like, okay, so between three and five years, someone has gotten to seen this many things. They've you know, carried their badge and their gun for this many years. They've made some mistakes. They've developed into their integrity, blah, blah, blah. So there's like they a clear metric that. of performance indicators and like next steps and protocols for like where they'll get put up for promotion yeah. or go on to a career path. It, in certain yeah, it, sure, sure. Yeah, there is. Now, I don't know that it's always fair in general, but I would say that it's that standardized for the most part. And sure. the more time you put in, the more good, good juju you have with everybody and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so even if I have more uh, education, I might move faster up the ladder, but I'm up against people that have years of experience and have put in years on the court, on the field and done what they've been told to do by their supervisors. So now I'm up against like loyalty versus experience and I don't always win out, you know? So right. it's kind of like if I would have started when I was 21, I would have been everywhere I want to be. 
but I know I wouldn't have made it if I was 21. So, but it's not impossible. That's why it's great that it's to talk to you as a kind of a career changer mid midpoint. Because I think a lot of us think about, well, how would we get into a field and what does it look like in terms of your progression? Yeah. Um, and then you applied to a, a public university to work as a campus police officer. And mm-hmm. um, campus police, the role is an actual police officer role. Like people... Uh, may or may not know this, but on at a public institution, there are actually full police officers, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, generally, yeah. So it, basically, I always tell someone, if someone has handcuffs and a gun, you're looking at a real cop because, and we say real versus not real, but whatever, security or something. Yeah, it's security because versus the police. Certain, you can't, I cannot take somebody's freedom, which would be um, your freedom of movement, which would be my handcuffs. I cannot do that legally unless the state tells me I can. Now, guns, that's another thing sometimes security guards might have them. I'm not really sure. But I am commissioned, and I am trained, and I took an oath that I will protect persons and property if there's imminent danger, if, there is, if I'm certain something will happen, like something imminent, serious physical harm will happen to somebody else or myself, or it's happening in front of me. So, yeah, for us, we, do, we have a full set of everything. We work alongside other departments around us. Um, it's called mutual aid or joint patrol or something like that. Um, so we can help each other. Plus, our students obviously live in the city and the department and the, and the college campus. So we all work together to kind of have the same mission. We all do things a little differently, but when we have to be together, we can help each other. No, that's good. And so a lot of the police, uh, so we have, I work at a campus and we, our police do work with local authorities, whether it's state, whether it's city, whether it's regional, um, you're on and off campus because you're right, your, your students live in different spots and there might just be bigger issues that come up. And a lot of police work isn't all, um, cracking crime. It's also preventative. It's also, um, in your Mm -hmm. case, educational. So, um, you got, Mm -hmm. you got this job as your first, your first job. And uh, they were um, thrilled to have you. Mixed feelings. What was it like getting um, onboarded and getting um, set up as a campus officer, knowing you had been on a campus before and you are aware of kind of how universities and colleges work? Um, I don't know exactly their feelings about me, but I do think they were happy to have me. Um, our department hires a little bit like um, what I've kind of got the feeling is that they're willing to hire somebody with really good integrity over someone that can do more push-ups than me. <laughs> and I say that in a way because, which is crazy, is that I've literally been told before that if, if I don't perform physically better than somebody, that they won't even look at me. And I, I'm sitting in my head like, have you seen my resume? Like, and I'm not trying to be the person to be like, do you know who I am? But like, I didn't just go overseas or whatever. I mean, I worked in a jail as an intern um, with the psychological place, but I did a job where I was restraining teenagers in a uh, home for kids with deviant behavior. Like mm-hmm. I speak a language, I, you know, and you would take a guy that can do more push-ups if he was in the military. And I said, well, he does have experience. I'm not going to take that away from him, but can he talk to people? I don't know. Can he, you know, does he bring a feminine dynamic, whatever. So anyways, they, um, that was kind of challenging. But when I got into there, I did take other interviews with a lot of other places and, it was very hard because some departments are not interested in having women, but there is some quotas that they're not meeting and they do know they need a change and they're like looking for women. And sometimes when they're interviewing, they say some really rude things to you. And like, um, let me give me an example. 
are you going to fuck everybody here? And I was like, wait, can you say F in an interview? Like, are you allowed to? I don't know. And then my tech was like, oh my gosh. I wanted to fight back and be like, do you say that to everyone? And wow, that now, is such an inappropriate <laughs> question. And you wonder why they don't have women on their that. police uh, force, yeah, their police right. department. So, yeah. What happens with young women when they join this field is like, and young men too, the way they play you in the department is they all play you on each other's departments. They know who's applying where because everyone's applying to every process. So each chief knows and they're talking about which applicants they have and do you have this one and who are you looking at? And they kind of do their little bargain. Who can we take? Who can you take? And so they kind of play with you a little bit and it takes so long to get a job. And cops are so poor at the beginning and some of them don't even get paid very well when they get in. Most of them are starting families. Mm -hmm. They're getting paid under $20 an hour. So they'll take whatever they can get and then you just bite your tongue and you deal with it. And so some girls I know have gone in, women, they've gone in, you're young, and they're, they're getting talked to like this in their department. And there's not a lot of support because they don't know that women like me exist in my department. We have six, seven, eight girls. We know, like we talk to each other and then we support each other. And sometimes we just walk out of the room rolling our eyes like, do these people even know we work here? But not in a negative way. Sometimes it's just as women, we bond in a cool way that we have support. And most of us, I would say all of us in my department at least, um, really support each other and are raising each other up versus trying to tackle each other down. So that's really good. But I was willing, but see, but I was in a position in my life and career that I said, I don't need this. I want this. And I want my department to want me as much as I want them. So I chose my place as much as they chose me. Um, they were looking, I liked being on an academic environment. Um, I do like being on a campus. I never wanted to work at a campus because, like I said, I didn't think it was mm-hmm. quote-unquote real policing. But what I found is that I didn't know how to be a certain type of police officer. Like, I knew how to talk to people. I know how to restrain people. I can do the physical and all that kind of thing. But I didn't know how to be a target. Like, I didn't know how to, where to put my gun when I was talking to people. Like, I didn't know he had to blade yourself. I didn't know that when you see certain weapons, you have to, like, yell it out or, like, I wasn't good at the tactical part. So my department, what was really great is I was able to, um, I worked at shifts that were very um, saturated with work. Mm-hmm. So I learned very quickly and they were supportive of me being, like, cause they knew I, they liked that I could talk to people and gain relationships with people and they just want to make sure I'm safe. So mm-hmm. all of my, all of my supervisors weren't like, you're terrible cause you're a girl, you can't even hold a gun. And I was like, well, first of all, I can. And second of all, if you support me, my confidence builds. If you make me feel like I'm literally less than you because I'm a female, then I can't grow here. And I think this happens to a lot of young girls, women that join the field, um, because there's not a lot of confidence in joining an all-male field sometimes or dominant male field. And then when you get in, you're already like, well, you're smaller and you can't do as much lifting as me. Yes, but do I need to lift them every call? No, because sometimes I'll use my talking over my physical and I can get people to calm down faster than a man can. Words are the best weapon sometimes. You're right. Absolutely. Right. So yes. Can I take out the big guy if I have to? Yeah, sure. But will I? Why? I'm going to get hurt. So if I can get talk somebody down first, what's the shame in that? Now I know there's, if a man is hearing this or some man is like, Oh, that girl's so weak or something. No, there is no shame. I think the goal is to be uh, protect self and others, and that would be by not getting into an altercation, not getting physical. I think that's brilliant. So, well, and I, based on my degree, I find it 
so I, I like you have this daily practice of what you're good at. Well, for me, I want to do investigation. So I constantly do behavioral analysis. And, and when I come to a person that I don't meet on like a cultural level or I don't meet on a verbal level or something, I play the game where how can I get this person to do what I'm asking them to do? And I'm not trying to force people to do stuff. I'm trying to say, how can I keep them safe? How can I keep people following the laws? And how can I get people from not hurting themselves? And I turn, I turn my voice, I turn my behavior, and then it's kind of like power to me because I said, oh, I didn't have to. And now I'm always prepared to go hands-on, but like it's funny because I can just not. And some people don't talk to people as well, but I've had a lifetime of communicating with people of different backgrounds, cultural, intellectual, like whatever, disabilities, and now I can kind of bring all of that into one place. So for me, although I started late, I think I'm my resume is so well-rounded that I knew how to do everything except for the tactical part. And I think that that's learnable. Um, I think it can be taught. You can't teach somebody integrity and you can't teach somebody, you can teach them how to talk to people, but it's going to take a long time to learn. So I had it all. I just needed to learn how to, this whole like potential, everyone's going to hurt you kind of thing. You have to learn how to balance it because you take it out of work, which sometimes I do, then you're like suspicious of everybody. So um, yeah, it was, um, but my department, it was like a long process and it made me feel good about it because some practices are so short. I wonder like, did you really even get to know me as a person? Like an officer came to my house and like had to meet my family and like interview me and them. And then I had to have a background interview and a psych interview and a physical interview and a scenarios and, and with the chief. And like, so they did a lot. Um, well, it sounds that. like your, your, your supervisor is very supportive and wants to on, want to onboard you and give you the professional mm-hmm. development and training um, to support your, your areas of where you want to tool up. But your, I think your communication and your interpersonal um, practices, you're right. It's something that it's something you've kind of developed over your lifespan. And I think that's a really important thing that um, could use more training. It sounds like for some other colleagues that want to move to uh, action first, instead of, you know, getting someone to talk out and talk and get them, bringing Mm -hmm. them down is deescalating is always what you want really. Yeah. And as I get more experience on uh, more years under my belt, I become the trainer. So now people that come below me, they're like just starting. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel confident letting them watch me on some of the calls I'm very confident on. And sometimes they're surprised and sometimes they're like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Or um, I do like playing devil's advocate when somebody says something that's un- like not, they don't understand something about a culture of people or something. And I'll say, okay, well, have you thought about it this way? And I hear people say, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Now, have I changed their tolerance level? I don't know. But when somebody says I've made them think about something differently, whether it's police or prostitution or human trafficking or just any culture of people, or we have a lot of international folks on our campus, and I just try to say, well, when this is happening, can you consider this? Because I can talk about my international experience and say, well, the people I lived with would do this in this scenario, and that's why they're doing it in America. Like, oh, oh, I didn't think about that. So breaking down like stereotypes and kind of um, biases and stuff. That's good. Um, What's the most... I I hope... No, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just said I hope it's helping. No, I think it is. Um, I was going to ask you, what's the most interesting thing or little known fact about your current role as a campus police officer that people might not know about if they're listening and they're just learning about this a little bit? 
I go, I actually went yesterday to a class and I presented on interactions with police officers for a group of students that have intellectual disabilities and I'll do the same with a, with a group with autism in the, here, in the near future here. Um, we also do like really simple basic things like we get, <laughs> I caught a bat one time in a dorm because somebody called 911 or maybe not 911 but they were like, there's animals in here and I was like, okay. I'm oh, you mean like a physical bat, not a baseball bat, like a. <laughs> yeah, like a bat. And then like one time there was a cat that was in some girl's room for hours before she knew and then it just meowed and she was like, I don't know where this cat came from. And so it's like some weird stuff because we deal with residences. So people are living there. Um, and I mean, of course, there's all the big stuff that we do. Um, we have everything, guns, knives, all of it comes on campus. Um, but that to me is like very normalizing, but sometimes we'll get these strange calls where like, they're like, there's a raccoon outside. It's like, okay, well, is it hurting you? And they're like, no. Okay. Well, what do you want us to do? They're like, well, we didn't know there were a lot on campus or deer. I think there's a deer. We didn't know there were a lot on campus. <laughs> So what's really fun is like we're dealing with people that are in the middle of uh, frontal lobe like development and so like they're in teenagers and 20s and they're still developing in their like their frontal cortex like the logical reasoning and sometimes they do things and you're like why'd you do that they're like I don't know I was like well here's your consequence you know like whatever but it's interesting because we have the ability to guide them so in some cities you know you're underage you're drinking you're getting you're getting locked up you're going you know they're going to put braces on you and they're going to take sure. you and book you for us we are inundated with underage drinking like every single day we cannot arrest all of them i mean we could but we would do nothing else to protect the students except for arrest them all so we are offered a lot of discretion we said okay you can if they're okay to get home can you can you let them get home mm-hmm. yeah maybe because there might be something more important. Can you give them a ticket instead of arresting them? I mean, if they're good enough to sign the ticket and they understand what I'm saying, that's fine. And then, you know, if you can't arrest, you have to arrest them, you arrest them. But in our county, in most counties in the state, they offer a diversion program for students that are, or not students, but people that are on their first time offense. Mm-hmm. So what this does is you do some, you do some community service. And I think this is very common in most places. You do some community service and you, you promise not to do it again and then they'll take it off your record and maybe in an expungement or maybe they'll lower it down to something minor. So yeah, it's, like, it's meant to be like development or re- rehabilitation, like yeah. le- lesson learned. So, yeah, so what's nice for me is that we are encouraged to do community policing. Great. So for me, if I'm not doing any calls, if my radio is quiet, I am encouraged to go find people and talk to them and just say hi and... Here's what I do. If your car breaks down, we can give you a jump. We can uh, come over and get you out of your, you know, get your keys out of the car if you lock in. If you need a ride somewhere, we are not a taxi service, but if it's necessary, we can give you a ride. You know, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. You stop and you just go. I like to get out and let them know who we are and um, what our services are because what, what I'm seeing is that something really bad will happen on campus and it will happen consistently. And we are never called. And then when we're finally called, there's logs and logs and logs of people being like, oh, yeah, he's been bothering us. Oh, yeah, we've seen this guy. Oh, yeah, we saw him. He had a knife the one day. We didn't know what to do. I was like, call 911. And they're like, they don't want to be bothered. And I tell them all, you can call 911 anytime you believe something's an emergency. If you are wrong, we will not yell at you. We will switch you to the other line or we'll ask you to call the other line. But... We need to know when somebody is 
assaulting people or like has a weapon or like yeah. you're aware that things are happening in the dorms or you saw somebody getting dragged around while they were drunk or whatever. Sometimes what I'm seeing is they are afraid of us maybe because they had a bad interaction or the, the media right now and the policing is kind of a weird relationship. Some students have a very bad relationship with officers, not because they personally, maybe because of personal, but also because they don't know because they saw a TV show or they saw a movie where like police were not viewed very well. So it is really important for officers when they have time to go out and talk to people because it's building community. And I know some people say, well, we don't have time. We're called to call to call. Nobody respects us. Well, listen, I'm a public servant. I have to be patient with my community because not, not every police officer is good. I mean, they're all great. They all do it for a good reason, but sometimes you'll get one that is too jaded or too angry or doesn't have enough support. He's messing it up or she's messing it up for all of us. Um, and that's like a very, very small percentage, maybe even in the, the handful of people that might be doing this. But generally, officers are trying to do a good thing. And, well, and you're, uh, and you're at a, an educational institution as well. And so it's, it's interesting that they have kind of those concerns. And I, and I would. So if I was a person of color, if I was um, someone from a marginalized group, yeah, maybe I would be like a little hesitant to call. So it's good that you're making those community rounds. Are there any... Other kind of like proactive or preventative things that yourself or your your team try to, tries to work on to like educate uh, the public at the campus. Yeah, we're well. The campus we have coffee with a cop that we'll do around campus. We have um, different events where um, officers will be invited to come talk or just be present at different meetings to like not even for security, just to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for us personally, like. Obviously, they encourage us to do these, but we do a ton of training of what we can and cannot do to violate people's rights. Like, right. in terms of like, we can let people go if we find out nothing's going on. You know, you don't have to hold people just because you know there's something that might happen. You know, so just in general, I like to just verbal education of people, helping people understand their rights is really important. And um, we have a lot of training in terms of like how to physically interact with people and how to verbally interact and how to um, like talk down situations. And I, we're very, I, I appreciate the amount of support we're given by our department. Cause I don't see that all the time. That's good to know. Um, so it's switching to topics and conversations a little bit. Um, is there something that you would recommend um, if someone's thinking about going to this field or thinking about uh, law enforcement in general? Is there some a resource or something that you would recommend them read or go visit a website to check out? What would you recommend folks to do that might be listening who'd be interested to learn um, more around law, law enforcement? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the idea of people getting their bachelor's um, or going through associates or something. I like the idea of getting a little bit of out of your home realm of 18 year olds out of high school get out and develop some of your own thoughts, first of all. Mm-hmm. I suggest in the 20s to explore the world, explore cultures, all these things, because once you're in this field, you're in. Like, it's a 25 and out kind of thing, and if you don't live the life you want to early, if you explore the world first, you'll be less afraid of it once you deal with bad people all the time, um, because you can get very jaded in this field, and you can get very, I wouldn't want to, racist isn't the right word, but I would say bias more or less in the subconscious part. You mm-hmm. have these unconscious biases. So there is a book, and I haven't read it yet, but I want to get to it. It's called Emotional Survival of an Officer, maybe. I got to look that one up, the word. Okay. But um, what I found was that I'm an advocate for therapy, and I think that you should go. I always have gone. It's so helpful 
because you have to find the right person to work with and get some trust there, but people don't talk about things. And then let's say you have a call that really affects you emotionally and you want to cry about it. Well, if your partner thinks that you're being wimpy or something, you now know that you can't express those things at work, so you have to express it at home. And maybe you don't have anyone to talk to because your, your family can't understand. Right. So this emotional survival, emotional intelligence, I can't remember what it's called, but um, if there's a shield on the front of the book, but it's actually a good book for your family to read, and then it's a good book for you to read. But um, I'm an advocate for therapy, and I think it's important that you develop that before you get in. Just find a therapist and start talking about some of the things that you're going to deal with um, because it's not yet always acceptable in the field yet. We're working on it. There's some peer counseling going on and there's a new website I saw about officers that are retired that take calls like a suicide hotline type of thing. Okay. Because if you think about it, like cops are at a risk for that. Um, Absolutely. It's stressful and self, self-care is really yeah. important. So, so it's good. To, I will definitely put a link to that book in, yeah. in their show notes so folks can take a look at it. And whether you're in a police uh, or not, so there's some stressful fields out there. Yeah, yeah it, it is helpful to read it even if you're not an officer to learn about why some officers are so snappy all the time or like <laughs> why they walk up to your car so aggressive all the time. And if you go, I suggest if you aren't an officer but you're interested in learning about it but not doing the field, find a Citizens Academy in your area. We have one at the university. There's one in the city where I go as well. Um, what it does is it puts you in their shoes for a period of time. Some people do six weeks, some people do 10 weeks. I don't, it depends on the department, but it gives you a mini police academy. And then sometimes they let you do scenarios, like they'll let you do traffic stuff. And they talk about why they're so dangerous. Um, they'll also let you do some of the shoot, don't shoot scenarios, you know, from a, from a, uh, a recliner, uh, you know, quarterback, a Monday mm-hmm. morning quarterback, whatever feet, I can say, well, why, when I was before an officer, why don't you shoot him in the knee? Like, why do we have to kill everybody? You know, well, I learned in shooting class, like it's very challenging to do that when your target is moving and you just got beat up and you're trying to save somebody and you're like, I don't know where I can't see because I just got punched in the face. So like I, I got to, you know, but this person's going to go hurt someone. What do I do? Either Citizens Academy or like Civilian Academy or okay. something like that. It, it, you call your department, your local department, and then um, more than one city you can call because sometimes the larger cities have them, some mm-hmm. don't. This is like a community policing type of thing. Interesting. And for like young women that are interested in, in, I mean, men have to work on the running part, but for women, just, I mean, start the working out early because once it's time, if you don't do it, like if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. I find so many young women, they fail out because they can't do enough push-ups or sit-ups. It's like, if you really want this, some people want to start when they're 21 and nothing I say will make them stay later because they want this as the passion of life. Do it. Mm-hmm. If that's what you really want to do, some people can build a great career starting at 21. For me, my heart is too wild. I had to go other places before <laughs> I came in. But the only thing I learned was you have to find the drive to do this yourself. Um, mm-hmm. You're making a large, like a huge choice and you're also giving up a lot of your anonymity and you're giving up not, not necessarily your freedom, but like you're choosing to be a servant, so your opinion has to just go out the door when it comes to public, when you're working. You want to have an opinion at your house, it's fine, but you have to change kind of your mentality. And it does change your life. Mm-hmm. It changes how you things, and it changes how you live, and you're, it's going to change your family. So this emotional survival book is always really helpful because your family has to kind of be on board with you when you do it because um, it can really, you'll lose friendships and you'll lose relationships 
So it does change your life, and you don't know how it's going to do it, but you have to be prepared for it. And then um, it gives you another perspective, almost, right? So like you're kind of like taking on yeah. a new lens. Um, your idea of the um, both self care in terms of therapy or reading or finding support is really good. But what else do you do for yourself? Like, is there something else that kind of um, gets you doing getting out of your head or out of your work? Like, what do you do yeah. to t- take care of yourself? Yeah. Um, I like to be creative. I always have. And I think when I was younger, I took some sort of test that was like, you should be an artist or something. And I, for some reason, scratched that. And I was like, I need to get money from something else. So I, uh, I like to create. So I've been doing woodworking lately, which is, I don't know where that came from, but I've been building things. Um, I've been sewing a lot, like sewing little gifts for my nieces and nephews' bags and stuff. Um, I like to paint and I like to redo furniture and stuff like that. So what I'm finding is that you have to, you have to find the joy in something other than work because you have to literally leave it at the door when you go. Because otherwise you're going to be constantly looking over your shoulder and thinking everyone's after you because once you take your uniform off, you're not wearing it anymore. So you have to go live your life. Um, I like to spend a lot of time with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved home like from overseas and then I kind of stayed in the area now. Um, and now I'm just like happy to... You know, my shifts are weird, and some of my family members have young kids, so I'll drive up to go see them and just have coffee with my siblings and just chit-chat with the kids or, like, we'll have sleepovers or something. Because my shift work is so crazy, I'm lucky to be single, but, like, if you aren't, like, you've got to find the time to go to the gym and you've got to find the time for meditation or yoga. I know people think it's crazy, but they said that the only way to reverse some of the effects of cumulative PTSD is going to be yoga and meditation. And it only takes like 10 minutes a day. You can literally do sun salutations and every morning and be like done in 15 minutes, you know, namaste, um, so, namaste, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> some of the men that I work with and the women. So we're pretty good about talking at level with each other. Glad you're there to expand their minds and horizons. Diane. Well, I, you know, they, they give me a hard time all the time. Um, sometimes they use the word feminist in a bad way. And I say, no, you're all feminist because you're working alongside women and you are not degrading us. So you're all with us because you gladly accepted us here and appreciate our dynamic. You're all it. I don't, I don't know what you think. We're not burning our bras. Like we're just saying we want to be on level with you and we want you to recognize that we are equal to you, but we are not the same as you. Like I offer something different on a call than you do. So just for me, it's just a matter of like letting some of this tied stuff go. Very important. And the mindfulness, yoga, like, re- I read. I don't have a TV. I just got too frustrated with <laughs> that media will report for ratings. <laughs> so what, what are you reading these days? Are there any kind of books or stories or um, things you're, yeah. Well, I mean, um, I read literally everything. So I read the Food Freedom book, like, because I was doing the Whole30. And then I'm reading a book about uh, resisting happiness that my therapist gave me. I don't like it. It's very religious based and I'm not really religious. So I was like, well, I'll read it. because I, I can find some spirituality in that. So I'm fine with that. Um, I was reading a book about, um, like I like the, the books about like real violent crime, serial killer guys, like the real ones. So, All like, right. Tell me what you, yeah. What's, what's the book you read recently? Yeah. Well, the one that I read was the evil that men do. That was, um, it kind of talks about the behavioral analysts in the FBI and all the, it talks about this, how they created this behavioral analyst kind of department and then how they study these violent crimes of the different serial killers and then why people do what they do. Um, I like nonfiction. 
for the most part. And I, I haven't gotten into any novels lately or anything, but some people suggest them every once in a while. Um, lately, Have you read um, Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, then? No, yeah, no. Search, this is the, um, what, it's one woman's search for the uh, Golden State Killer. So this was Patton Oswalt. Okay. He's, it was a, a, he's a comedian. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard about his, his wife was writing that before she passed. Yeah, and he had, um, they worked. Oh, she was researching it. No, she was writing and researching. So um, they, okay. she had a lot of things left, but he had it finished. Uh, if you like the true crime, I think you, you would enjoy that one. So Great. Uh, no, I, um, what was I going to say? I just read the... Oh God! It's by Truman Capote, and it's um, about that murder in Kansas. Oh, um, in, in Cold Blood. Yes, yes, that one was awesome. Yeah, that I was good. That. that was a good one. I love the perspective of how they. I actually listened to it audio, nice. but they like went through all the characters and talked about their past, and then even further into their parents. And it, that was really cool. That's kind of the how my brain works, you know, kind of like way too long. And then I read. Um, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, which was... That's funny. Uh, uh, my co-host mentioned that on a previous podcast. So, yeah, I, I have it on my list to read. But you liked it? I did audio, and I did it while I was training for a half marathon because I like her, but sometimes I'm a little bit annoyed by her. So I was like, I don't believe everything she says, but I do like the idea that she's telling women to take some time for yourself, and she's giving them permission. And some of the things she said really settled with me. So I was like, okay, cool. I mean... I'm into whatever. I mean, I basically just want to keep my brain moving and I read a lot of research stuff or I like research myself sometimes and just, I try to see how behavior goes and then I like analyze it and then I bring it to work. They're like, do you really have to just analyze everything? I was like, yeah, pretty much. It's my job. (laughs) That's good. Well, they need someone like you on their team that has them thinking about and analyzing things. Um, If I was to ask you, what's your kind of go-to beverage of choice, whether it's wine or others, what would you recommend? Well, I have one of every kind. I don't have a go-to. It just depends on the mood. So I like dark red wine, like mm-hmm. Melbeck's, and I like bourbons. Woodford's my favorite. And then um, got that easy gin and tonic when it's that kind of, like maybe summer vibe. Nice. So kind of a little bit of everything, but I don't drink much anymore because of my hours. It's too hard to find the time where I'm legally allowed to drink. Because you can't have alcohol. What is it? Is it 12 hours, 10, five hours? I mean, it's all about, I, I mean, I would say my limit is eight hours because then you consider if I went, drank the night before and then went to work, it's probably going to be an eight hour sleeping time. At least I hope I get eight hours, mm-hmm. but some people have different rules. I'm sure. Um, if you consider being a person that works at seven in the morning and you go out late, late, late at night and you drink till four in the morning, uh, you're probably still drunk when you go to work. And some people justify that. I have a limit and it's like if it's eight hours i have to have my last drink at eight hours and then Mm -hmm. uh, i also wouldn't have five before that but i mean that's just (laughs) um you have to consider but then i think about it how often do people go to work hungover some are still drunk and they're driving in in every field yes you're right no you're correct you're absolutely correct the first thing that happens on my job is if something happens a blood test and so like Regardless of how much alcohol is in my system, I would want it to be negative zero at the time that they get there because this is going to be my life and potentially someone else's life. So So, uh, before we wrap up, I was going to ask you, um, what's bringing you joy these days? Like what's making you smile, laugh, um, whether it's song or something else you're doing that is really making you happy? Oh, um, well, obviously my family, but I have a brother that has Downs and he and I, like we just hang out all the time, which is really nice, but 
currently we have our basketball season that we're just wrapping up and I've taken on the head coaching position for next year because our coaches who we've been working with for 15 years have retired. So it's a scary idea that I'm in charge now. But, um, <laughs> How does he feel about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm like a little nervous um, <laughs> because I don't want to deal with the parents, but that's okay. And um, I have been working, so I'm looking for different types of advancement at work, but I don't necessarily, in the past, maybe I thought it was supervision. Now I'm kind of like, I've always wanted to just help people with my purpose and passion. So I've seen that there's some disparity in how officers interact with people with intellectual disabilities and maybe people with autism and kind of different populations. So I've been working on training, a training for my department that I can present to them with all of the knowledge I have from working with my brother and his friends for the past 30 years. I want to just give them some more tools so we can prevent maybe a potential physical interaction that doesn't have to happen with someone that has intellectual disabilities that doesn't look like they do. Like, so my brother has Downs. Everyone knows what Downs looks like. We know what it equals to someone with intellectual disability. But when we talk about somebody with autism, they don't always indicate physically, but sometimes their behaviors do and they're subtle. But if we can catch them and we, and officers are so good at this, they're so good at behavioral analysis. They always know something's wrong. They don't always know how to define it. So I want to give them the tool. We always talk about all the tools we have in our belt and all the tools we have communicating with people. I want to give them one more tool where we can prevent something based on the fact that we know something. So like, I know something about these people. I recognize it. I change my behavior in this. Everyone stays safe. And then we can have a different result. So I think sometimes officers move really quick. And sometimes individuals with special needs present as very dangerous because of some of their behaviors. Sure. And they don't look like they have something or are affected by something. Officers just say, equal to danger, we have to do the danger move. Um, but I want to try to change that. Um, there's a little, so I, I've been working on those presentations and I love it because it's one of those things where I stand up and I don't feel nervous and I have tons of uh, information and I feel like I'm reaching any person and I don't even care. And I feel like I'm offering them one more clue, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to work that a little bit right now. And um, I would like to develop something and I have been trying to do this for the girls on campus, the women on campus. Um, of course, I want to empower everybody, but with the, the young women, and like I said, with men in special populations as well. But what I'm seeing is that women aren't speaking up ever, like for anything. Like we get a lot of calls about people being followed all the time. And sometimes it's all in their head. Like no one's following you. You just kind of like, I don't, it's okay. We want to help you feel less unsafe. But some people are getting followed and I want them to feel comfortable. Or guys are asking them for their number or um, they don't feel comfortable not giving it to them. So um, they're young. These people are young. They're in their 18, 22. And I want to help them find a voice that says, I'm not comfortable right now. And I think my comfortability is important, not just yours, which I think women often make everyone else comfortable. And they forget that they have rights and they have comfortability also. And we don't have to lay back. Whatever happens to us. Um, and it's hard, but I wanted, so that's something I'd like to work on in the future. But generally, I'm in a good position where I feel like I can make a change in some cultural things. Um, at least within my department, I've seen some, we have very intellectual people in our department, so it's nice to have a good conversation and people be willing to have a conversation that's open and debate about politics or something and be willing to hear you. 
even if they don't believe what you say, they are willing to hear and listen. And um, I kind of like having that conversation about policing to the community. So if I can do it within my department, I like to do it out in the public as well. So I like to change my officers in the way they see cultural, um, special needs, special populations, um, give them perspective as to why people do what they do. And then I like to do that to all people about policing um, when I'm out in the public. Say, hey, this is, have you ever thought about officers not getting enough support? And maybe that's why they're so cranky or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's it. And then I just like to be around my family mostly because they're all growing and uh, all the little kids are getting big. So well, That's great, Dan. I just want to say thank you so much for taking time um, to share about what you do in service and, and your role and your transition. Um, we really appreciate you sharing with the Invino Fab podcast. And I'm going to share some notes on books and ideas and resources and links to um, whether it's the Citizenship Academy to other things that you've mentioned, because I think you're right. Um, we could use a little bit more awareness on what the role of law enforcement has. And this has definitely uh, been an interesting and fun conversation. So um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. Be sure to catch the next podcast episode by subscribing to the Invino Fab wherever you find and subscribe to podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at InVinoFab and we'll always welcome love and messages by email at InVinoFabulum at gmail.com. Cheers! Thank you.